0: With Nightmare on Elm Street, Wes Craven reinvented the monster movie, making a man whose actions are monstrous get an appearance to match it. In mashing up the teen slasher film, real parental fears and tapping into a new playground for terror to strike. He created a lasting film franchise that is seared into pop culture. It also proves
1: that once again, all of our parents are responsible for all of our problems.
0: This is 80's Movie Guide. A guide to what's wrong with your parents. I'm Riley Roberts. And I'm Tara McNamara. A Nightmare on Elm Street is about a group of high school friends who suddenly start experiencing the same bad dream and realize their shared nightmare is deadly. It's also about how you can kill the worst person in your life, but they'll still haunt you with stupid catchphrases. That is true. Um, It's fun to watch this film back and think about how scary it was in 1984 when we saw it on the big screen and how it it, it appears today, which is... So, like, not
1: good. (laughs) It's just not good.
0: Yeah, it's it. it, The scare. What do you think about the scare factor? There is there any? I mean, because given the special effects that at that point were you know, pretty scary, and now they just don't hold up at all. So there's kind of that. Well, the first time you're introduced to Freddy Krueger, he comes
1: out into an alleyway with the blonde, because for some reason she
0: decided to follow the voice from outside in the middle of the night. I hear a scary noise, and I've been haunted, and all my friends are over because I don't want anything to hurt me. But I heard a noise, so I'll go out there alone in a t-shirt.
1: Yeah, exactly. So the first time she does that... Freddy Krueger comes out, he is, he just looks so fake. Like, on, like, his arms are, like, super long, and, like, they look like, they look kind of like a scarecrow, like, Uh (laughs) it just looks bad. Right. And just, especially in the beginning, when they do the title, it looks like, like, a video game title. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it just was, like, like when
0: right. i saw it. <laughs> and you got the synthesizer music for the yeah. score which feels very early 80s as well. Um what what parts of the movie did scare you or did make you feel uncomfortable?
1: Well, you said that you didn't like the t- tongue in the
0: telephone. Yeah. Um that's just that's just a visceral reaction, you know, that's just a like i the idea of that and and i used to after that movie came out, i would actually be more careful about, like, answering the phone. I mean, even though I knew it couldn't happen, I still would hold the receiver away from my face. <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: another scary part was when, I mean, in her sleep, the blonde gets, like, t- pushed up and, like, dragged all around the room with blood, like, cuts just coming out of her. That's scary. But right. um, like, if I was that person, like, the boyfriend in that situation, like, I would have been, like... Way traumatized,
0: <laughs> way, right? Way too traumatized, yeah, right. <clears throat> um, I, I think for me, one of the scariest parts. I mean, there's the horrifying part. I think the most horrifying might be what happens to Johnny Depp when he basically yeah. gets pureed.
1: Well, I mean, to me, that wasn't horrifying at all. I mean, the like I said, the idea of it is horrifying, but watching it, like, I'm just like, whoa. Like, oh, how did he do that?
0: Right, right. <laughs> he got sucked into a bed, and now he's, they, they, they turned, him to glenomatic or something. Um, so, to me, the scariest part, I think the part that gives me the most creeps, is when she's in the bathtub, and the claw rises from the oh, bubble yeah. bath. Yeah, most iconic know? scene. Yeah.
1: No, I've even before, I've never seen this before. And even before that, I've always had like a fear of the drain mm-hmm. and like something coming out of the drain while I'm showering me, not
0: noticing. Right. And uh, I too, but this was based on Jaws coming out when I was really small. And again, you know, I didn't see it when I was five years old when it came out. But the trailers ran on TV. It was in the pop culture. I was aware of Jaws. And so between that and then there was a a movie called Piranha um, that, you know, I was sure that if I took a bath, an invisible shark would get me. And if I took a shower, the piranha would come through you know, it would come through the, the shower um, spigot or whatever. So, you know, like, it, it made no sense. It made no sense. It wasn't rational. But I think the reason is, and why Nightmare on Elm Street really set the stage to be a different kind of film than these teen slasher movies is because it plays upon our vulnerabilities. You are You are vulnerable when you sleep. You cannot not fall asleep.
1: Whatever you do.
0: We have to. And so there's no way to escape that if that's where your nightmares are, if that's the idea that your nightmares could come to life and haunt you and be real. I mean, we can we can say, oh, that that can't happen. And you can know that rationally, but it really just strikes a nerve and, you know, feeling like anywhere where you felt safe before in your house with your parents, in your bedroom in your bathtub, answering the phone, you know, things that you just, you, didn't, you wouldn't think would be a dangerous situation. And you have no way to escape. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought that when they put um, Nancy, with it the bars on the windows. Yeah. So then when she goes and she catches Freddie and she's calling to her dad, you know, it's interesting because it was a jail that her mom essentially put her in.
1: Yeah. I just thought the entire parenting skills for that girl were just totally awful. Like <laughs> I mean, I know her mom's a drunk, but the fact that her mom knew the entire time and wasn't trying to protect her Yeah like, at all. And just was like, just go to
0: sleep, just go to sleep. Why please. would you say go to sleep? I mean, because it's because it's irrational. But I mean but But she But she saw, like, when you see Freddy Krueger's hat come out of your daughter's dreams. Yeah, and you saw her
1: the way she was, like, dreaming with her body everywhere and her, Mm -hmm. like, just freaking out you watched her sleep and you saw her heart rate go up that much and you still did nothing about it
0: right and just kept denying that it could possibly be real yeah and then her father just
1: like when she's like 15 minutes I need you I need you this is the one time that I need you and he still doesn't cooperate and she still
0: has to get him out herself and still has to burn him on fire herself well, I think what that plays upon is something that, you know, probably I think all generations of kids feel, but especially 80s teens felt that their parents, they didn't listen to them, they ignored them, they're like, you know, whatever, they were off doing their own lives and weren't that involved. And I think that that reflects it, right? This, oh, you know, you're, they're, they're, you know, the parents aren't that involved with her, so they're worried about her. But they're like, oh, poo-poo, whatever you're saying couldn't be real, you're fine. And she's like, why won't you listen to me? Yeah. I mean, honestly, when your three best friends are all dead, it's the point where... I feel like any parent should be listening. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you need to be a great parent at that point, but um, but yeah, that's part of it. There 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 were a lot of dead teenager films at the time, and that's what Roger Ebert called them. You know, where they would just have all of these slasher flicks, um, and whether it's Freddy or Jason, um, Freddy, specifically teenagers. Um, yeah, there were always teenagers who were getting it. And the the thing that's interesting is while I feel like Nightmare really re you know freshened up the franchise it still has the morality part where if you're a teenager and you have sex you're getting it. You're going to die. That's it. <laughs> you know, they still have. And, of course, the girl's going to get it first because, what, she's more to blame? I don't know. But, you know, the—, the Even t- though her boyfriend was, like, kind of raping her, it seemed like. Well, that was like- a weird thing. The whole, like, she's mad at him. We don't even know that they're boyfriend-girlfriend because she's being so, ugh, whatever, get away from me. Yeah. And then he shows up, and he's still being a creeper. And then he's like, okay, let's go. And she's like, okay. Okay. <laughs> You know, yeah. again, this is this is where I feel like we get into men writing these and directing these movies instead of women. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And so then, of course, her boyfriend dies next, mm-hmm. and then it's Glenn. And poor Glenn, you know, Johnny Depp's character, he he is abstaining from sex with Nancy, right? I mean, she he he's like, hey, how about? She's like, we're not here for us. We're here from you know Tina yeah. <laughs> and he's like morality sucks and I guess he he, he still gets off because you know he wanted it I'm not sure and Wes Craven did come from a really religious background like um, so it's interesting that some of those things do make their way into the movie even though he had left all that behind um, for instance the crucifix on the wall and the fact that the crucifix is what seems to protect. Um, Nancy and uh, Tina at one point. Um, Because, right, Tina dies when she's not underneath the crucifix. Yeah. And so, you know, that's also what left her vulnerable. And to that end, the, the, the part that is the most shocking to me, the line that gets me the most, is when Tina, you know, asks for God to help her, and Freddie says, "'This is God.'" And to me, I'm just like, oh, that's so blasphemous. You know, like, oh, don't say that. (laughs) I mean, you can make a movie, but, like, let's not say that. Um, I think that plays into, again, horrifying us and and also, you know, Wes Craven's childhood.
1: Well, it's also about the... Teens that have sex die. Right. <laughs> is that Tina is the only one that's really tortured. I mean, the brunette, what's her name again? Nancy. Nancy, like, I mean, she's tortured because she keeps escaping the dreams. But, right, right. But Tina was like brutally slashed and slashed and slashed and slashed until she died. And then her boyfriend, but that was right after she had sex. And then her boyfriend just gets hung. Right.
0: Yeah, we're not going to we're not going to torture him. Yeah. You know, he's a guy. He has urges. And Everybody he's, can understand and that. And he's already right? in jail. Sure. Yeah, right. It makes <laughs> sense. And then Johnny Depp's
1: character, yeah, he was blended, but that was like immediate. Like he was asleep and he sunk in a hole and just Pretty much died. Right, right. It, yes. Just gory.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we don't know that he suffered. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, and then Nancy... And then when Nancy's mom dies, I don't really know what's going on, but but what is going on, right? To me, what is going on with Nancy's mom? Freddie is on top of her when she kind oh, of... Oh, yeah. Um, and when she sort of disappears or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, that was weird. Um, and... I thought that what happened with Tina seemed pretty rapey to me. I mean, a lot of it you're not seeing, but yeah. she's under the covers, she's thrashing around, yeah. and it it felt super rapey there, too. Yeah. And then back to the bathroom scene, you know, where she's in the bathtub, and of all images, to have his hand... Where her vagina is. Rise, right, rise up right there. Um, and that's an
1: iconic scene, is a girl with her legs open and a guy's hand mm-hmm. coming out about to grab it.
0: Because it makes you cringe. Yeah. Yeah, it makes you... It just it just shakes you from the inside. You're just like, oh, gosh, no, no, please not that. But the point is, of course, that Freddy is a monster. We don't know... There's no implication that he raped the kids that he tortured and killed, but he is a, a child killer. Yeah. And... uh So, you know, there, there are no boundaries for him. There's, there's, you know, what is the worst thing? He will do it. And, and that's sort of the idea as well. So with that, I think it's interesting that Freddie comes back for the kids of the parents who burned him alive. Uh, You know, what would you do if you were a parent who's had just seen a lot of uh, children being abducted and died, and then the guy gets off? And isn't going to go to jail, and he's still in your community, you know. What? 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 And you have children. What do you do? I mean, what do you do? I don't know. I mean, maybe not burn him alive. You know, that maybe that does feel extreme. But um, but but some of the ideas of the film is is either the guilt of the parents uh, is what's coming back and affecting the children, and there is a recurring in the Bible, uh, you know, the idea that children pay this for the sins of their parents. So it says that in the Bible. It also says children don't pay for the sins of their parents, just so you know. It says both. (laughs) But, but, but But there's the sins of your father. Third and fourth generations down the line will pay the sins of the parents. And so I feel like this, knowing Wes Craven's background, is also saying that. That the children have to pay for what their parents did.
1: Well, wasn't Freddie also, like, tied to a stake and burned alive? I don't know.
0: I'm not sure how he was burned. No, I think they, they, they I thought that they surrounded the building with fire, or with gasoline, and then lit them on fire, and he was just trapped in the boiler room. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Of the school, I think. Yeah. Um, The steak thing would have worked way better if we were talking
1: Bible times.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right, right, or witch times, or whatever. Joan of Arc, it all works. But still, you know, he's burned alive, and that's how they get him. I mean, um... And then, of course, that's supposed to be the idea behind the alcoholism, I think, with the mother. I think that's why she's in denial. She's been drinking this memory away, um, yeah. kind of tormented by what it is that she did, you know, whatever it was a decade prior. I don't understand why they would be guilty, though. Why they would be guilty? Yeah. I mean, it's vigilante um, it's it's basically vigilante justice, and that too was something playing in the early '80s. There was a movie called Death Wish with Charles Bronson, and there were there were a wave of vigilante films that were happening. Where okay. You know, the government doesn't have your back. The police force doesn't have your back. What do you do? You're going to take care of it yourself. It's kind of like Batman, but for real people. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, you know, that's basically what the parents did. They just took it upon themselves to rid them, rid their community of, uh, you know, a, of a killer. Of but a that makes
1: total sense. I, don't, I just don't understand why they would be guilty about it.
0: Yeah, why they would feel guilty. Yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah, I, I know you wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> But then you're playing God, right? Like, then you're killing someone. I don't know. That's... I agree. It, it's an interesting idea that this is why they're being chased and tortured and killed, the children, because of what their parents did. Um, but it, it does feel hard to, you know, find sympathy for Freddy Krueger. Further, you know, this this has had um, five films, and then a reboot, and then another reboot's on the way, and... In, they progressively become more sympathetic toward Freddy, but... Why? I don't know. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Well, Robert England kind of left the franchise, uh, Fred, Robert England's who plays Freddy Krueger, because he was like, I, I don't know what's going on here. We're not doing that. That's I don't want to be a part of that. Okay, so then what do you think about the idea that someone could kill you in your dreams? I mean, yeah, that's scary and, like... But like you said, that's the most vulnerable you are, and you can't wake up. Mm-hmm. You know, so... I mean, have you had terrifying dreams like that? Where- I mean, where you
1: are almost dead, and you die, and
0: you wake up. Yeah. But I was talking
1: to my best friend, like, the other day, and we were talking about nightmares. And I was like, oh... Or no, we were just talking about dreams and how we, like... I can't really remember my dreams, but... If you remember one, that means that it's, like, significant. hmm And she said, well, I only have nightmares. And I was like, really? And she's like, yeah. But the thing is, you know, when you die and then you wake up, or, like, you get stabbed and you wake up, or you fall into a pit and wake up, I am just continually stabbed wow she's like i
0: know what a stabbing actually feels like because i've dreamt it and i've felt it mm-hmm. yeah and there is something that's really realistic about dreams and about how you can feel things how yeah. you feel things uh that, that you have well that you have no way of knowing what it feels like but yeah in your dreams you're like oh yeah that's what it feels like <laughs> well like it's i mean i think it's just your body sensors just working there was there I mean there was something I remember hearing a lot when I was a teenager that if you die in your dreams, you die in real life, and i don't know you know if that's just something people have said forever, if that got going after nightmare on Elm Street if that's something that was happening before, not really sure what the origin of that is, but I do remember people saying it a lot, and usually you do wake up when someone stabs you before you're dead mm-hmm. you know um and and so the reason um the Wes Craven made the film is, depending on what you read, some earlier stuff said that there was a series of articles in the LA Times, and then more recently Wes Craven said there was one in particular, but it was about kids who died in their sleep, who were having nightmares. And one kid in particular, he he talked about who had survived the killing fields in Cambodia, was telling his family, like, there's something chasing me in my dream. I'm sure, you know, it's going to get me. It's going to kill me. And he wouldn't go to sleep. And the family, of course, is just like, just go to sleep. It's fine. It's a dream. And then he, he died in his sleep. And, you know, they said there wasn't a sign of a heart attack. There was no real... Obvious way that they could see why he died. And that's where the movie came from. Yeah. But I've had some really scary dreams, you know, and recurring dreams, uh, recurring nightmares. So I think it really plays upon that as well. Um, what do you think their message in the movie is? That one I don't know. Uh, don't have sex when you're a teenager? Well, that might seem what it is. <laughs> um yeah, I think you know, what what Robert England has talked about is the idea that uh that Freddie is killing the future, that he's envious of youth and is, you know, killing their hopes and dreams.
1: Yeah, that works. Or it could just be rapey. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it could just be terrifying. Um, and Wes Craven has said the th- about horror films that they don't create fear, they release it. And he sees it really as a way. I mean, the whole point is, right, she takes... Nancy takes control at the end of the film. She's, she turns her back on the thing that is, and doesn't give it energy. So her fear, what she's afraid of, the thing that she's afraid is going to swallow her up and kill her she's giving it energy by worrying about it by thinking about it by obsessing over it and so once she says i'm turning my back to you and i'm going and i'm letting it go it you know he goes away yeah so i think it's just about that that we have to take our fears and and you know maybe face them or we just turn around and walk away and shake it off and don't let the, don't let things consume you. Don't let your past don't let consume the past consume you. Yeah, that, that
1: makes sense. But you can't just like have problems and walk away from them. Like that's the, right, like, right, right. the entire
0: point of life is that you can't get away from your problems. So no, that's not the that's not it. All right. Well, I think that's a good summing up of the film. Uh, I'm Tara McNamara. I'm Riley Roberts. This is 80s Movie Guide. A guide to do what's wrong to parents. And you can find us on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and our website. <laughs> <laughs> so the handle is at 80s Movie Guide. Thanks for listening. Night and never sleep again.